Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have uh, a Bible here this morning or you don't have the Word of God in your hand, I want to ask you to please raise your hand so that you can follow along. It's very important. Uh, we're going through the rest of this chapter here this morning, and so probably halfway in you'll be glazed over if you don't have a Bible in front of you and you may not be able to follow along where we're at. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. Anyone need a Bible this morning? Okay, good. Well, we're in the last chapter. Uh, without this chapter, we really would have no Bible, would we? We'd have no New Covenant. We'd have no New Testament that way. We, we all wouldn't be here this morning if he hadn't risen. Uh, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, without the promise, um, the gospel of hope that we were given, without the resurrection, the proof of it, none of us would be here this morning. So... Let's just take that in for a minute. Let's just bow our heads. We'll pray. And just in the light of that, that our God has said that faith doesn't have to be blind. But our faith is only as good as what and whom we place our faith in. Father, I place all my faith in you. We place our faith in you, Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would anoint your word this morning. Lord, that in my inadequacies and, Lord, our limited abilities, Lord, that you would meet us where we're at, wherever we're at, Lord, whatever that looks like. Whatever we walked in this morning, whether it's a wrestling or sweetness, wherever we're at, God, we, we want to just meet with you, sup with you, receive your peace and rest, rest restoration, restore our bodies, Lord. Heal us, strengthen us, remove all the distractions, Lord, comfort, rebuild, realign, calibrate, Lord, all the things that I just you're bringing to my mind now that, need, that happen within a service here this morning when your word goes forward. Lord, I pray you'd just pour that out liberally here this morning. We're not, uh, we're not seeking anything else here but you. Nothing else will do, Jesus. We won't walk out of here until you've blessed us with your word. We won't do it. We're here for you and you alone, Lord. So, Lord, have your way in us this morning. We ask this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ, and God's people pray. Amen. 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 Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week... That's Sunday. Very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. Last week, you may remember, um, I saw the you know, Holy Spirit brought it out in verse 56 there of chapter 23, that the women had gone and they had gone back and returned and they had prepared um, an anointing for the body of Jesus Christ. So if we're, we're just being completely transparent, even they weren't sure. They didn't know what was going to happen. Was he going to be resurrected? Was, you know, they've never seen anything like that. We, we look back and we go, oh, resurrected Jesus. We, we understand something like that's possible. I mean, certainly they saw Lazarus. They saw resuscitation to life, but never a resurrection. I mean, think about it. Until you were introduced to the resurrection, whether that was as a little child or a grown man or woman, 
we had no concept of what that even meant. And many times I think humanity even gets confused on what the resurrection is compared to a resuscitation. We see resuscitations all the time in medical. I mean, somebody comes in, they codes, you know, they code on a table, whether it's drug overdose, whether it's, you know, something going on in their lives, they're coding right on that table. And somebody that's a paramedic or a physician or a nurse, they bring that person right back. They, but they're still in their same physical body, right? They're, they're, they're coming back into their same nature. Not, nothing is physically or materially changed, spiritually changed in that person. But a resurrection, to come back and be in a glorified body, that's what awaits you and I. When we're raptured and we're brought up to, to, to Christ that way, caught up in the air, we will receive, we, we received uh, the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. We received so many things from the Lord already. But the one thing we don't have, and I mean, how many of you have got like hip pain, knee pain, headaches, pain, 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 pain. You're still wearing glasses, you know, whatever, right? You didn't get the glorified body yet, did you? You didn't miss it, by the way. Just don't think, man, I got cheated in this one. No, there, there's something wonderful to come. And that's a new spacesuit. Right? That, that's not designed for this physical earth, but designed for where you're going to spend all of eternity. And it's called the glorified body. And that's what awaits every believer in Christ. And so these women are going to anoint the body, a dead body, but a body nonetheless. That, that's what's in their mind. And they're going out in faithfulness, in love. You might even say, well-meaning. But where was their hope? For them, much like someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ, if you've ever gone to a funeral where you're attending a funeral and, and someone doesn't know the Lord, for me, those funerals are the hardest. For, for those that are born again, it's a celebration of life. And yes, it is very hard for the family and very hard for me and all of us because we love and we miss that loved one. But we know they're with Jesus. They're dancing with Jesus. And, and it's that wrestling in our hearts to say, okay, Lord, this person left us for a better man, right? We get that. But when there's an unsaved person, right? And we know that that person's not going to be with Jesus. What's that do in our hearts? The stealing of the hope to know that what awaits them is not eternal life with our Lord, but eternal damnation. These women believed. They believed Jesus is Lord. But they didn't understand what the resurrection was. And therefore, the hope that was given to every believer today, what would we have and, dare I say, sometimes take for granted? I know I do. And knowing that I'm invincible in the will of the Lord. Doesn't mean I won't suffer. Doesn't mean that difficulty isn't before me. But I'm invincible when I'm in the will of the Lord to such a time in which God has said, well done, faithful servant. Now enter into your reward. There's a hope. There's a, a confidence. In the Greek, we get that's what that word actually translates. It's not like, I hope and one day maybe it will be. In the Greek, hope means confidence. It's where I place my confidence and trust is in the foundation of Jesus Christ and the faith by Christ and Christ alone. 
these women understood, but their hope was waning because they didn't understand the resurrection. So there's a whole chapter dedicated to it for us this morning. And it says that they were going and they were bringing these spices that they had prepared because they couldn't comprehend it, but they, but they also want to turn around in honor, right? They saw where Joseph of Arimathea had placed the body in this tomb, not even thinking about how they're going to roll away a stone. I mean, a couple thousand pounds. These ladies, they can't move that. But you know, they knew one thing at a time, that they were going to step in faith. They were going to do what they could do. They were going to bring those ointments, those fragrance to anoint the body. That's what they could do. They, they didn't know what else they could do, but that they could do. And so they step in faith and go and trusting, okay, Lord, I don't know, I don't know how the stone's going to move. I don't know what we're going to see in regards to Jesus and the body there. I don't know. Is it going to be in the tomb? I don't know but I'm going to step in faith and I'm going to leave the rest to you, Lord. So in this, I also see a beauty. I know there's some, you know, people that'll, oh, look at these. Didn't they believe? Yeah. All right. Maybe they didn't understand the resurrection, but they got, you know, childlike faith because they're going to this place where they know they can't move the stone, but they're trusting that God will. There's a beauty in stepping by faith and not understanding how it's all going to work out. Being directed by God. The most beautiful place to be in life is to not have all the answers, but to step and let God direct your steps. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And we read in the other gospels, they were... You know, not only does it say here in Luke, they were perplexed, but what happened? Somebody stole our Lord. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. Now they're taking it in. Wait a minute. He said something about this. I don't really understand what he meant by a resurrection, but he did say something about this. That behold, two men stood by in shining garments. These are angels. The idea of the shining garment speaks to the purity and the brightness. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces, aren't they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Very powerful words, yeah? I've thought about this a lot. I've had the privilege to do several, many, many funerals in my years as a pastor and minister of the Lord. I even was asked by my mother to do her funeral and service, and I thought, oh my, oh my. You know, and the Lord kept reminding me, it's, it's 2 Corinthians, it's absent from the body, present with the Lord. Every day, or every day you drive to this building, right across the street is a cemetery. And there's thousands and thousands of dead bodies buried in the ground or placed in a tomb or, um, you know, cremated and sitting in an urn over there. And these angels come, first of all, wow. 
can you imagine? How many times have you asked to see an angel? Lord, send one of your angels. I've prayed that numerous times, Lord. Send your angels. But send them to go guard the door. I'm not necessarily looking for one to address me personally. Why? Because all throughout Scripture, when I see someone, they immediately find themselves in a bowed, sort of prostrated kind of form. There is something beyond our ability to even comprehend the supernatural and the spiritual that way. That any person that sees someone like that, they immediately go into a humility. They're not like, oh yeah, I got you. I never read, I never saw that in the Bible. Like somebody saying, you feeling froggy? Go ahead and leap. I never saw anything like that in scripture. No, there's a humility, literally a humility every time where they're bowing down and these angels say something so powerful. This is the one thing that comforts, comforts families that are going through a difficulty uh, a passing, a loved one passing and going to be with the Lord. Why do you seek the living among the dead? They're not there. The service isn't for that person. It's for the families gathered. It's to bring peace, comfort. If they're a born again believer, a celebration of life, joy and rejoicing. But it's not for the person or should I say the body of the person, they're not there. Every single person is resurrected. Not just believers, believers and unbelievers both resurrected. One, as the scripture says, what? To eternal life with Christ Jesus, and one to eternal damnation separated from God for all of eternity in a place we call hell. But everyone's resurrected. Luke chapter 20, verse 38, just turning your pages back here a few to your left. We read about this. Jesus was speaking to the Sadducees about the resurrection and their misunderstanding or lack of theology. And he challenged them. He said, the Lord God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. He was pointing out their foolishness in not understanding the resurrection. Not believing that there's a resurrection. He's, he says, that's just flat out foolishness. He said, let me tell you, there is a resurrection. And I am the first fruits of it, Jesus said. I will be the first fruits of this. And he describes this eternal life. So these angels say, what are you doing here? You're, you've come for this. He's not here, but he's risen. Hallelujah. That's the most important. <laughs> all of scripture is inspired and important. But one of the most important, if I can say that, of all the verses you have in your Bible, man, underline that, highlight that, circle it, asterisk, whatever you need to do. He is risen. And because of that, Everything is changed. Everything is changed for every human being in here. Whether you're here and you don't believe in Christ, it's still changed for you. Do you know why? Because you have a Savior that can take your sin and is willing to do that, desires to do that, and all he asks is that you believe on him and believe in the resurrection. That's all he's asked. Nothing else does he want from you. 
No, when you do that, naturally what follows is you want to give them all of your heart, all of your mind, all your soul, and all of your strength. It's a natural response to a beautiful, perfect gift of agape love. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified, and on the third day rise again. He says, all this is prophetic. These things needs be. Remember when Peter was going to chop off the ear of Malchus, the chief priest's servant? And he says, permit me to do this, and he heals them. But but he says, Peter, what what did he tell him to do? Put away your sword. Why? He just told them that there's a new pattern for ministry going forward. No longer are you going to go out without buying, you know, before you'd go out without a money bag or without a, a, an extra pair of sandals, an extra garment or, or any of that stuff. He says, no, he says, now you're going to trade in that extra garment for a sword. Perilous times, times of defense. He said, these things needs be. This is all part of God's plan. Woe to the man, Judas Iscariot, that betrayed the Lord. Woe to the man that, or the woman that comes before God's plan. But nonetheless, this is all God's plan. And I, what I love about these ladies, they're so beautiful, pure, and innocent. They're just wonderful. Because they don't go, wait a minute, say it again. Or they don't turn around and go, uh, you were stuttering. I didn't get that. Or, or I don't understand and I don't believe. No, no, no. They take these angels right at face value. They say, okay. It's the boys. The boys that are in the upper room. What are the boys? They're going to come and tell the boys, hey, I, the, the, the Lord is risen. Because they're going to appear to, you know, the late one, uh, Mary Magdalene is going to appear to the Lord. And, you know, he's going to want to touch. She's going to want to touch him. Hey, I'm, you know, I'm not fully ascended. He, he's going to, Jesus is going to say to her. And, you know, they're going to go and tell the boys. And the boys are like, come on. You're weaving a tale here. But these women, they're so beautiful. Such an innocence and purity of heart. They basically say, now I get it. And they remembered his words and they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven. The empty tomb, by the way. And to all the rest. Now that just seems simple, right? Put yourself in their place. Someone comes to you and tells you, 2,000 years ago, it's your Messiah, Jesus. You watched three and a half years of ministry of the Lord. He told you about it, but it wasn't top of mind because you're so um, wrecked by the fact that Rome and the Jewish uh, religious leaders are betraying Jesus and literally crucifying and killing God. And they're doing that so they can continue to, to have their political power and their, you know, fleecing of sheep. And Rome is just trying to quell any, you know, Pontius Pilate's trying to quell any governmental political issues so that he can continue his reign of power. And so all that's been going on and you're sitting here and you're watching these things and all of a sudden you hear that. You're standing with these two angels and you hear that. How do you even reconcile that mentally? You look in the tomb, you don't see the body. Maybe you kind of see the neatly folded garment that he was shroud that he was wrapped in but trying to reconcile that just just let that just let that video play in your mind for a minute 
What does this mean? And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. I know it was just sort of hard on the boys here a minute ago, the apostles, but would we have any been any different? You know, how many how many people are, you know, show me I'm from where? Missouri, right? Missouri, I'm from the show me state. I want to see these things. What do you mean? I need the touch. I need, you know, we think of Thomas. Well, some of the few times we think of the apostle Thomas in scripture, he's kind of the show me apostle, right? From the show me state, right? He's just knit and built that way. Yet, we also read of that apostle when all the other apostles were unwilling to go back because they wanted to go to where Lazarus was when he was, de- he was dead. Remember, he, they got, Jesus got word of that. And they said, hey, you know, let's go. And he says, no, we need to go. Jesus, we're going to go over here. He says, he says, let's go. He says, yeah, but they're going to be waiting for us there. It, c- it could cost us all our lives. And who was the one apostle that said, Jesus, I'm with you. Let's go. It was the apostle Thomas, right? But they take it as these idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb. We also know in the other gospel tells us John went with him. And stooping down, he saw linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself what had happened. Again, I, I think of chapter 22, verse 32. Right? What do we read there? It says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan had asked for you, that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Why do I think of that? Because where was Peter last seen? He was last seen denying publicly in the outer courts for an illegal trial, Jesus Christ. Jesus looked at him with his own eyes, their eyes locked. He had denied him a third time. The rooster crowed, right? Peter went away broken. He went away discouraged. He went away hopeless, thinking he had blown everything. It was over. This walk, his Christian faith, his foundation, everything was over. It was done. He messed up so bad. There's no way the Lord could forgive him for this. Who's the first one that wants to run there? Peter. And why does Peter want to run there? Because all he wants to do is see Jesus again. Probably to weep with him and say, Lord, I am so sorry. You told me you were praying for me and you didn't want my faith to fail. Lord, I want to tell you something. I blew it. I doubted. But Lord, you can help my unbelief. And I know... Jesus, because of your prayer, I still believe. And I want you to know that, Lord. I want you to know I still believe. Yeah, I've blown it. Yeah, I've messed it up. Yes, I did exactly what you said I was going to be sifted by we from Satan. And exactly the temptation went down exactly like you said, Lord. But I know you and I know you're not done with me. And Jesus, if you'll just forgive me. If we can just go back to what it was like before I blew it. 
and I can be in right relationship with you. Lord, I can go on. I can live with that. I can go on. All he wants to do is get to Jesus. Please notice with me. He doesn't continue to run further away. He doesn't say, oh my gosh, he's alive. I got to get out of Israel. Man, where am I going to go? I'm going to head over to Europe. I'm going to start the diaspora early, right? Peter, first Peter. He's not saying any of those things. Friends, I have come to this place biblically in life. You are either going to run to Jesus or you're going to run away from Jesus. Only one of two responses in every ideal or not even ideal aspect of your life. Where does Peter run? To Jesus. Regardless of what had just happened, he literally denied him. Is there anything worse that we could do? That Peter didn't already do? No. And yet, we see such a beautiful right response from this apostle. He just runs to the Lord. He just is, he's not going, Lord, I... He just, Jesus, I know if I can forgive me, Lord. I just want to be with you. And isn't it wonderful as we read Jesus in, in, in John's God? He restores him. As he said he would, because he knew he was going to do this. He wasn't trying to set Jesus up for failure, or excuse me, Peter up for failure, pardon me. No, he knew. And he says, this, this is everything. But these, the boys, they're hearing his idle tales, and he, he sees the linen, he's marveling to himself what had happened. The idea here is this idea of proof. He's trying to process this, right? The power of the resurrection that declares Jesus Christ to be God. That's what we're talking about here, right? It also, it's declaring his deity, which means he's equal to God. Who resurrected Jesus? Was it the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? We'll come back to that in a minute. But, but oh, turn in your Bible to Acts, please. Chapter 2, if you wouldn't mind. Two books over there, two books over there, Acts chapter 2, verse 24. This gives us an idea, not only the spiritual transaction on the cross, but what was happening as we read here, Luke was inspired to write the book of Acts, it's kind of like Luke V2, right? The gospel of Luke is Luke V1, and then Acts is sort of Luke V2. Um, whom God raised up. Who raised him up? God the Father. Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So God the Father raised Jesus, right? That, that makes sense. Turn, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 3, please. 1. Look at chapter eight or chapter three, pardon me, verse eighteen. For Christ also suffered once for sins, that just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit. 
Wait a minute. One God, three persons. The Father and the Spirit. Right? You're tracking with me? That's pretty cool, isn't it? How about John chapter 2? Well, actually, we're closer to Revelation. Let's just, let's just hold on because I'm going to bring us to Revelation here in a minute. How about Revelation 118? Since you're already right there. What does Jesus Christ declare? Revelation, when I was teaching Revelation to the flock, sharing with all, the book of Revelation is all about Jesus Christ. It's his direct revelation. It's not John's revelation. We read Revelation and we know John was a apostle that was inspired by the Lord to write the book of Revelation, but it's not John's revelation. It's Jesus's revelation to us. And if you read the book of Revelation and you miss Jesus, you've missed the whole book. You really have. Um, go back and read it again, right? It's about Jesus. It's his revelation to us, to humanity. There's even a blessing in, in reading this book. But look what he says in verse 18 of chapter 1. I am he who lives and was dead. There's no, there's no denying it. Jesus himself is saying, I died. There was no swoon theory. There was no, you know, fake death. There was no, no, he says, I was dead. And behold, I'm alive. And then just in case you're wondering, like, how long is the resurrection for? Forevermore. Amen? And that means what's our resurrection like? Forevermore. Amen. He says, and I have the keys of Hades and death. There it is. Jesus Christ has victory, and so we do as well as his heir and co-heir, his child. He says, write these things. We could go on and read that. Tur turn to John, lo, with me please, chapter 2, verse 19. Next book right after Luke. Jesus answered... And said to them, destroy this temple, speaking of his body. And in three days, I, circle that in your Bible, will what? Raise it up. So who was responsible for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? According to the scriptures, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we see here. In other words, all three persons of the God head and all three persons of God in general, I should say it that way, are responsible, are able. And why? Because it is the proof. It's the guarantee. Let me have you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Scripture teaches that every believer in Christ... is to be able to give a defense for why they believe what they believe. In other words, why are you a Christian? 2 Corinthians, okay, chapter 4, verse 14. Why are you a Christian? These passages we're going over this morning, they're, they're wonderful, they're beautiful for us to study these things, to know these things. 
But in having these things and the notes we can take and the scriptures knowing, why do we have these? They're not just for us. They're so that we can come and give the gospel to someone else. And when they say, well, why do you believe that? How do you know? Where's your proof? And I can't blame anybody for saying that, nor should you. You can open the scriptures and say, you know what? Let me take you to these passages. Do you know why the resurrection is so important? Well, no, I, 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 no, I, I've heard of it. I, I don't know what it's about. Well, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 14 with me, please. Well, I'll back up to 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, Paul, the apostle. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise up with Jesus and will present us with you. There's the guarantee of the resurrection for you and I as well. Well, how do we know it wasn't just for Jesus and not us? He tells us right there, for all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through mercy may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. And that's exactly what the resurrection does. It brings a thanksgiving. It brings an abounding of glory to God because it's a testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. It speaks to the divinity, the deity of God that way. And just the importance of that. And the proof of that. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're stringing pearls this morning. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. Right after the book of Acts. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. I love that. I love being separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. These things were foreordained concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born the seed of David, according to the flesh. It had to be this way and declared to be the son of God. That's the messianic term there as found in scripture, with power according to the spirit of holiness, by, by is a reason word, or for what, and, and, and through what, by the resurrection from the dead. That's the proof. Even in Romans chapter 1 here, verse 4, he's declaring who God is, why we need the Lord Jesus Christ, and he declares Paul right in the beginning of Romans before you go through the entire letter, which, by the way, never visited that church Never made it there, wrote it because all roads, you know, lead to Rome at that time. It was a marketplace and a crossroad. Never been there, wrote this letter to people he never met, other than Aquila and Priscilla, who were, you know, in ministry with him, tent makers, you know, and, and leather makers that way. Other than them from Rome, he had no other personal connection there, didn't know anybody in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But the Lord brought him there, wrote this letter. He turned around and he wrote this letter, right? He didn't actually bring him to Rome, but he, he, wrote, he will eventually, as you know. But he wrote this letter to them. And he said, the most important thing you need to know is Jesus is Lord. This is foreordained before time. The Messiah would come. And the proof of that is the resurrection. And if you understand that, you understand the gospel. 
and you're able to give the gospel to someone. And if somebody asks you why you believe what you believe, you can quickly say, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, what do you mean? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Do you have a Bible? No, I do. Let's open our Bibles together, right? It's, it, it literally just begs the question, and it opens it up there for us to go through those things. Um, turn to John chapter 10, verse 25. Pastor, my hands are starting to ache. My fingers are tired. Some of us this morning, right? It's good. It's good. Our little fingers are getting a workout, huh? Just think what's happening in our spirit right now. Uh, chapter 10, verse 22, I'm going to start in. I said verse 25. But now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is you don't, it's not that you don't know, it's you don't under, you don't believe. It's not an understanding issue. It's as I told you, you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I have given them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Can't lose your salvation. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. Nobody can steal them from me. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. He makes it very clear there. I and my father are one. Very important. What did Jesus Christ just declare? He just declared the deity of the Son is equal to the deity of the Father. That in, a, in, in effect, they are one. One God, three persons. There's not a Christian alive today that's worth their theological merit that would ever say there's three gods. There's one God. The Shema even describes that in the Old Testament, right? One God, three persons, substance, some people prefer to say, but that's what he's declaring. And he's saying Jesus is, it's declared they are one. And the resurrection, you know what also that proves? That also proves the deity of Christ. It's not only the proof that Jesus is who he said he was, that he was Messiah, right? Yeshua. It, it wasn't just proof alone for that. It was also proving his deity, which needed to be established and proved so that, again, we know why we believe what we believe. Because no one can challenge this by the fact that the resurrection was true. He's equal with the Father. What about, since we're already here, turn to left, John chapter 5, verse 19. We'll make our way back towards Luke. For this reason, I'll start in verse 16, chapter 5. This reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done the things on the Shabbat, the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought out more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he said that God was his father. What does it say? Making himself equal with God. There's no denying that Jesus believed and taught that he was equal to God because he is God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner, in equal manner. That's what that means, equal, in equal manner here. 
So we understand, again, really powerful, Luke's gospel was written to describe and, and help us understand the humanity of Jesus Christ. But you can't take the humanity of Christ without looking at the divinity of Christ because that equation helps us understand who God is. We can't deal one without the other. We, we don't get the full character of God that way. Now, behold, two of them were traveling on the same day to a village called Emmaus. It's about seven miles, if you want to take notes. Some people like to know geographically. Emmaus is seven miles from Jerusalem, roughly, okay? Which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together all of these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So apparently there's a group of people, Passover's over, right? The Feast of Unleavened Bread is coming, seven days. And so they're following kind of by, there's this road, and all of a sudden Jesus in his glorified body, just appears right on the road, walking with them, kind of seeing them as we're going to read sorrowing. They're, they're, they're mourning. They're mourning because of the Lord. They're mourning. Their hearts are broken. It says, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So there's some supernatural aspects going on. They didn't recognize him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another and you walk and you're sad? He could see Jesus was able to discern that their countenance and their sadness was upon them. They were mourning because they believed in Jesus of Nazareth. They believed he was either a prophet or God, you know, and they recognized that he's dead. And they thought he was going to be the the coming Messiah, which he was, but they didn't understand the resurrection as well. Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which have happened in these days, there in these days? I love this passage. This helps you and I understand this was not something hidden. This was not something that was just kept quiet, like, shh, there's a Jesus of Nazareth and he was just crucified. Cleopas's response to Jesus not recognizing who he is, he says, is there something wrong with you? You have, don't you know? Everybody's talking about it. Everybody knows that there was this Jesus of Nazareth. He was a, a, the, the son of David. He was a mighty man, a prophet, a man of God. He did miracles and all of these things are well known, established, beyond contestation. He was real. He lived. He suffered and he died. Did you not hear about this? What have you been under a stone? I mean, that's what he's saying. I mean, this is not something like, you know, we've heard the people throughout the years. Well, if Jesus was real, it would have been recorded. Oh my, everybody knew about it. This was not hidden. And not only biblically, but even extra biblically, you can go back and read Josephus, a Jewish historian, and you can read the writings describing Jesus and how he walked and he had a sect S-E-C-T, a, a group of people, disciples that followed him. He was a Christian. He, he developed the way, Christ, Christian. So it, it, it's, there's no, no one that can literally research and come to a, a logical or sane conclusion that Jesus Christ wasn't real, that he didn't physically walk this earth, and that he didn't claim to be God. Nobody can deny that. It's, it's beyond just our Bibles. It's even extra biblical. It's written. It's written in histo- history books. It, it's, 
It's not a question of faith, friends. This is not one of those moments of faith where I need to believe that Jesus is real and I need a lot of faith for that. No, no, you just need not to read, right? If we can open a history book or we can open our Bibles, we can read those things to be true. Praise God, right? It's not a blind faith. So it was really well known. That's what he's bringing out. And I love that passage because, again, when people try to come up with these conspiracies or, you know, the tin hat kind of stuff, where they're like, oh, Jesus wasn't real. Oh, no, no. Everybody knew it. There's no denying that. And he said to them, what things? Now, I love our Lord. He's saying, pray tell, right? He's, he's trying to draw out the conversation. And I love this because Jesus is so awesome that he doesn't come out and just goes, well, um, ta-da, like I'm here, baby. You know, he doesn't do that. He doesn't go. And by the way, resurrection 101, you know, coming to a theater near you. He doesn't, he, he doesn't like smack him in the face with it. You know what he does? He does what we all would love to he opens up the Bible. He begins in the beginning and he takes us through the verses and scriptures to show us all these things were already pre-planned. They were all in a very simple way. They were part of God's plan. He, he starts in the Pentateuch. He takes them for the first five books of the Bible. He then brings them to the Psalms. He brings them to the Proverbs. We're going to read this here in a minute. And then he turns around. All, he says all of this declared that this was going to happen. And oh, by the way, Isaiah 22 and 53, the suffering servant, he was going to suffer. He was going to be taken not for himself, but for this world, for us, humanity. And that he was going to rise again. So he doesn't just turn around and belittle them like the way they kind of belittled him at first. You don't know this? What have you been under a rock? You know? No, Jesus turns around and says, you know what? Let's draw out this conversation. This is very, you're asking really good questions. And I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, I hope there's no one that ever gets so um, confident or prideful that no matter how simple or how exhaustive the questions are from an unbeliever or someone that doesn't know Christ, that they can open the scriptures and spend as much time as is going to be helpful for that person to understand who Jesus is, right? You've heard me use the example. If I rollerbladed into your college classroom, and I asked you to marry me, ladies, I'm married now, but you understand the example I'm giving, you would say, get away from me, you freak, right? Because I don't know you, right? And maybe you'd be kind and say, please step aside. I'm calling security, right? Maybe that would be the more polite way you would do it. But it would be weird for me to say, will you marry me? I want this lifelong term commitment and you don't know who I am. And so often we do that. We get so excited about Jesus. We go out, oh, you need to know Jesus. And we just like, in, in a beautiful way, we love on them and we give them so much excitement. But really what they're hungering for is, is understanding who Jesus is. And some of the best way to do that is just one-on-one -on -one Bible study with someone. Just sit down with them, maybe over lunch. That's how I kind of came to Christ. There's a gentleman, his name was Tim. He, I worked at J.P. Morgan at the time, uh, back in the day, and uh, was bonded by the bank. I was in asset management services, and we would meet. We had um, 
there was a kind of an executive lounge we get access to at that time, my, my role. And so we'd go in the lounge and we'd sit down. And instead of talking about what we're trading and the economics and things that were going on, Tim would open his Bible and say, hey, do you mind if I read the Bible? I'd say no. And I would be, I'd, you know, eat my risotto or whatever I'm eating. And within a couple minutes, he would just, I'd see his expressions changing. And I said, Tim, what are, what, are you, what are you doing there? He says, oh, I'm just reading the Bible. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm Catholic. I know what that is. And he said, he never, he never belittled, he never said, you don't know your Bible. He, he never said anything like, he never, ever liked that. So gentle, so loving. He just turned around and he just said, um, would you like to read with me? And I said, sure. He said, well, let's, let's start at the beginning. And he turned to Genesis and he would just read with me. And this went on for about two years, two years. And then one day I was listening to Pastor Chuck Smith and he gave a gospel invitation and I, I received Jesus Christ over the radio. I, you know, it's the TV in my bedroom. I actually saw it, heard it on the radio and then I saw him on a clip on uh, like what was like his channel back in the day. And I literally just wept and gave my life to the Lord because I had it at an all time low. And, and I just love this because this is the way that Christ did this. He didn't just expect it, but he was so gentle and willing to bring everyone along everyone. And he did it in such a gentle, beautiful way. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus Nazareth, who was a prophet, he's more than that, he's God, a mighty indeed in the word before God and all the people, sort of describes the public ministry here, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping, that's past tense, had, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day. Very important. Exactly when they meet him, right? And he is risen, just as he said. And we read the scripture this morning. Since these things happened, yes, as a certain woman in our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, who's that? Peter and John, and found it just as the woman had said, but he, but him they did not see. And he's, what, is he, what are they saying? This is the reason, Jesus. Oh, well, they don't know it's Jesus at the time. This is the reason, sir, for our sorrow. That's what they're really saying here to him. This is the reason, sir, for our sorrow. Then he said to them, <laughs> well, you just can't mince these words. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. That alone, I bet you, that, that sounds like Jesus, you know? That's something that Jesus would say just the way he says it, you know? There's certain things as you study scripture that you know that there's a certain way our Lord talks, right? You know what I'm talking about, his voice? Like, I know when the Lord's talking to me and when the Lord's not talking to me or he's giving me a word or not giving me a word. And many times, that's because of the phrases he uses, the things that I read in scripture. They, they bear witness to him. They're, there's a certain way he communicates, and, and, and it's, it's found in the word of God. It's the primary way he communicates. But, but oh, foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe, in all the prophets had spoken to you, while not the Christ, to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? Again, talking about Isaiah and Psalm. And then he tells us how he does it. Verse 27, and beginning at Moses, which is the Pentateuch, Genesis, right? And all the prophets, and he goes on, Kai is in the Greek means and, with in, in addition, he expounded them in all the scriptures, 
the Old Testament, right? The things concerning himself. If there was ever a time for Jesus to have made a list, this would have been the time. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't make a list of all these things you need to do to be a Christian. He doesn't do it. He just goes right to scripture and he says, this is who I am. This is what I said I would do. This is what I've done. That's what he does. He gives them exactly what they need. The proof text. He expounded them all the things of scriptures, the things concerning himself. That's why we, that's why it's when, if you come to Calvary Chapel, wherever you go, that's what you get. A line by line teaching through the whole word of God. This is why we do it. Not only because it's declared in Acts 2.42, it's what Jesus did. He could have done anything when he was on that road. He could have turned around, but he says he started at the beginning and he went all the way through all the scriptures. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. Okay, so he's hit the seven-mile marker. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us. Don't go, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. He, he honored the invitation, right? Why is Jesus doing all this? So that they would understand that he came to save, you know, he conquered death, he comes to bring life, and through the resurrection, it's through his suffering, and it all reveals that he is the conquering king. And so he says, okay. In verse 30, now it came to pass as he sat at the table that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and, they, and he vanished from their sight. So, so glorified bodies, in case you're wondering what you're going to be able to do when you're in heaven, you'll be able to appear and reappear or appear and disappear as we would describe it. Your glorified body is going to allow you to do that. You'll be able to walk through walls. There's a sort of metaphysical aspect to what we're going to talk about here, right? He had the capacity to defy physics the way we understand from this molecular atom-based structure that we are built, the cells and the things that we have today, we cannot pass through walls. But our glorified body will. We also can't be an extreme cold, right? It's pretty cold in here this morning, right? We feel it. We're awake. It kind of keeps us awake, right? What happens if the sun doesn't turn around and, and come up and we have this, this major frost and this freeze that comes over and we didn't have a way to heat ourselves or we didn't have a way to stay warm, we would uh, all get hypothermia and eventually what? Die. But when we get to heaven, we don't read about anything like that. We don't read that there's actually a sun. Nothing, you know, it's not going to orbit the sun. We, we don't read about that. As a matter of fact, it says Jesus is the light. He is the furnace. He is, and we receive a new body that is meant to work in that structure, in that eternal way that is different than the way that it's our, our body, you know, a, a heart blood system, a system where the heart pumps the blood and circulates. Uh, I don't believe we'll have that. He doesn't say flesh and blood, touch me, I'm flesh and blood, right? He says, I'm what? Flesh and bone. That's interesting. It's interesting that he didn't say that that way. You be Bereans. I'm not saying it has to, you know, you're going to get up there, you know, hey, wait a minute, I still have blood. Pastor Matt lied to me. You know, I'm, I'm sure at that time you're not going to be thinking about that. 
please don't. <laughs> please enjoy Jesus, you know, <laughs> at that moment. But he vanished from their sight, and they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us when he talked with us on the road while he opened the scriptures to us? Isn't that what happens here this morning? It's not emotionalism. I'm not up here getting you going. And No, you know what? The Lord and the Holy Spirit's meeting you where you're at. And I'm trusting that the Lord is speaking to you. I have no idea what God is saying to each one of you. I, sometimes people come up to me afterwards. Oh man, pastor, you really, how did you know this, that? And I just look at them like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I really don't. I have no idea. Or, you know, you come into counseling, either, either two things happen in counseling. Either they don't give pastors enough credit where they don't realize the Holy Spirit's revealing things and you just sit there and stay quiet as you watch people describe things. Or they expect you to know everything and you're like, I, the Lord didn't give me that. You know, I, please keep talking. Help me understand. Bring me into the, so I know where to meet you at, where the Lord's meeting you at. So, Here's, here's what's happening is, is it's, it's the scripture is what's being open to them. Not a man, not an emotion. It's not, it's the scriptures that were doing this work. And it says that it burned in their hearts. They could feel, they could experience what God was doing, but they didn't know how to put it in words when it was happening. So they rose up early or sorry, they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They go back seven miles again and found the 11, those who were with them gathered together, probably in the upper room, saying, the Lord is risen indeed. And he's appeared to Simon, to Peter. And they told him about these things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread, in the what? In the communion. They weren't at the last supper, were they? They weren't at the Lord's Supper. Only the, only the uh, 12 apostles initially started, the 11 apostles thereafter, because Judas left. There's something about communing with God. When you commune with the Lord, you absolutely know it's him. That is what's so powerful about what he said, this dude, do this in remembrance of me. We're communing with God. We recognize God. We acknowledge God. And he makes himself very well known to us. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. Can you imagine? He appears again. Whoa, right? He's like, I told you. <laughs> the two guys, you know, Cliffus is like, there he goes again. He's doing it again. <laughs> and he says, peace to you. I'm sure he had to say that. Everybody's like, you know. Talk about the chicken skin and the, sorry, the goosebumps you guys call, and, and how it sticks up on, on your neck there. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that he had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? I again love this about our Lord. I, I read this, I kind of tickle and laugh in my heart because like he knows exactly what's going on. Everybody's freaking out, right? And he's like, what's going on? Got any honeycomb? Let's eat. I love that. He's just, he knows how to calm us. He just knows how to meet us. He doesn't draw the attention to, oh my gosh, I just appeared and, you know, reappeared. Or I just did. And, and yeah, you could be freaked out because I can do this at any time. How do you know? You know, he doesn't, he doesn't draw our attention. See, that, that's what I'd be thinking, right? So you're everywhere all the time. Check, you know, check, registered that. Okay, no secret hidden sin check, right? Like that's what's going on in my head. Pray for me. I'm looking, I'm like, man, did I just, yep, 
pray for me. But this is what he's doing. He's revealing this for everyone to see that it's not about that. He says, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Handle me and see for the spirit does not have flesh and bones. Right? It is on blood. You see I have. He confirms a bodily resurrection here. So when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe, it's almost like it's too good to be true. That's what it's implying. And marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? Now we know that God is an Italian like that, right? But he's one of my people, right? Like if I wasn't just born again, he's like, where is the food? Why is he doing that? Because... Again, think about in the Jewish faith what food represented. That when you took a part, a morsel of food, because it was shared from a communal dish, you were taking in someone else, and they were taking you in. You were becoming one. That's what he's trying to communicate here. He's saying, let's fellowship. Let's sit down. Let's be together in this. So he says, is there any food? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He confirms again that, you know, he's raised from the dead. You know, he can do all these things. And then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Again, all scripture at that time was the Old Testament. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. He gives the ability. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, that the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, preach the gospel, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses, as we are today, of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power on high. He says, basically, preach the gospel. Forty days later, we know that he says, don't go anywhere until you receive the promise of the Father. If God wants to give you a gift, you should want to receive that good gift, right? It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know much about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14. You can read about all the gifts. They're very much alive in a well today. Um, everything, 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says that everything's done in decency and order, okay? But it says that it's from a power on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass when he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into the heavens. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And he, and sorry, and were continually in temple praising and blessing our God. Isn't that what we just did? And, and notice that we're continually. Maybe I should have sent an email or a text to someone to say, we're going to continually worship like that. Isn't that awesome? And blessing God. Amen. So before we, we close out our service today, I'll have the musicians come up. And I want you to turn to one last passage, and we're going to close with this, and I, I really mean it. Uh, Acts chapter 2, and I want you to look at verse 42 with me. This is the church. After Christ ascended into heaven, they came back and waited for the promise of the Father. That was Pentecost. That was not the first Pentecost. Do you understand that? That was a feast. Pentecost would always, it just coincided with that time. Certainly significant, nonetheless. But after that, Peter, right, 
he and the others had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They go out and they give the most beautiful, precious sermon that can be. 3,000 people come to salvation. Talk about instant church, right? He gave the word of God. He preached the word of God. People got saved and boom. You know, you want a church growth model? It's right here. Teach the word of God. Stay away from all the junk and all the nonsense out there. That's the way a church grows. And what does it look like? One, it grows. What does it look like? And what's it supposed to look like today? He lays it right out in Acts 2.42. And they continued. That means they kept doing. Steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's what we have today. It was called the apostles' doctrine at the time. It's the word of God. And fellowship. They gathered together one to another, bared each other's burdens, right? They fellowshiped. We already read that they worshiped because we just said that they, in, in um, Luke, it just said they continually were praising and worshiping God. Check, okay. And then what else did they do? They broke bread together. They had an intimacy. There was a closeness for the body of Christ. It wasn't, I go back to my home and then I only do what I do. No, there was an inst intimacy in the bride of Christ. And I know we're a few hundred here and somebody, well, that's hard. It was easier when we only had 75, 100 people. It was a lot easier. Let me tell you something, 3,000 in one day, right? And then we know shortly thereafter, two weeks later, another, I think it's 5,000, right? So like 8,000 people in a church a week later and they could do it. We can do it. We need to allow those walls to be torn down. We need to allow those walls that, that we use to protect ourselves and to keep ourselves at a distance, to keep ourselves safe. Everything that we were raised to think was the right thing to do. We need to tear those walls down. We need to let people in. Even though it means, yes, you may get hurt. Yes. I'm not going to lie to you. Yes. But you're also going to experience a sweetness and a love that you've never ever experienced outside of Christ. You have to be willing to do this. And in prayers, they ate together and they prayed together. Tonight, we're going to gather at 6 p.m. as we do every Sunday night and we pray. And I would love to tell you the sanctuary is filled, right? And we're all just, it's always like 20 to 30 people. And I read the same list you, you read every you know, Friday that come out our prayer list, right? There's so much to be praying for. So many people in need of prayers. I mean, there's so many people in the communities and in the, in the people around us, the body of Christ, not just here, but around the world. And it's a privilege. Prayer is our mighty weapon. And I understand some of you, are saying, but I don't like to pray out loud. Okay, pray silently. But be in the spirit of God, one that's the desire. You know, some of you, you've come into this fellowship. You've you fellowshiped other churches. One of the things that I've heard over and over again, and I don't think people are just telling me or the elders or other pastors these things, is that when they walk through these doors, not only do they know they're going to get the word of God, but they're loved. Whether that's a hug, you know, a handshake, or just meeting somebody right where they're at. Not playing church, not playing Christian. The Lord has done that because that's his culture. That's his fingerprints. Man can't create that. But we have an opportunity to embrace it. We can run back to our homes and jet out of here in two minutes. Or we can turn around 
and we can invest in each other's lives and hold each other and know that we go through this life together with Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what God had intended for the church. It's not a country club. It's not something we do as an additional, uh, we add it to one more aspect. It is part of our lives. It is ingrained in us. It is meant for us to have that communion one to another. I want to encourage you, if you've, if you've never partaken of that here, I know so many of you do, but if you've not experienced that here, if, 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 you, if you're one of those people that jump out of here, spend an extra five minutes and talk to somebody here this morning that you don't know. I promise we'll turn up the heat a little bit. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to run outside to get warm. Like, we'll turn up the heat a little bit, right? <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm seeing you like, you're like numb. But that's what the Lord wants for us. Because you have no idea how God could just create a divine appointment right now with somebody that you haven't talked to before, and that person could become your new best friend. You have no idea what God may want to do here. Let's let him reign. If you'd stand with me if you're able. Father, I know you've healed here this morning. Physical, spiritual, emotional, mental. Lord, I, I know you have. Lord, I know you've met people right where they're at, Lord. I pray that, God, there's just a swelling of love here for you and for one another. We know there's no greater uh, demonstration or gift than a man can lay down his life for his brother or sister that way. We know that. We believe that. You told us that, Lord, loving you and loving one another on these two things hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, all your scripture testifies to those things, Lord. So I pray, God, not only are we reaching people outside that don't know you, these four walls, you told us preach the gospel. But Lord, I pray we also lift up those inside these four walls. Minister here as well. And I just thank you for this time we've had in your word. And I thank you for the way you've brought us through the book of Luke. And Lord, I look forward to a wonderful study in the book of John. So Lord, I, if you should tarry, continue just to go before us and lead us. Lord, we don't know what we're doing, but you do just as you've declared in the scriptures. And we want to follow you and no one else. So give us that strength and and just give us the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we can live out the Christian life. Give us the gifts, Lord. We're praying for that openly this morning. When every one of those gifts that you have in the scriptures, we know for such a time as this, we ask this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. Now receive our worship, Lord, we ask. And all God's people pray, amen.